under assault from the false ideas of the culture and the persuasive preaching of false teachers. What is the call of the disciple of Christ in the midst of a culture that is hostile to the message of Christ? Jude challenged Christians through the ages to contend for the faith. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, in today's broadcast, Pat will be presenting an inspiring message on the call to contend for our faith in Christ. We hope you enjoy today's show. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran. We're seeing major denominations, seminaries, and Christian colleges turning out leaders who pervert God's messages. And you can see, okay, where there's false teaching, immorality follows right behind. And ultimately, the root cause is the same as it was hundreds of years ago. It begins with the rejection of biblical authority, of the divine inspiration and inerrancy of the scriptures, something that was taught for centuries. Uh, it's taught clearly in the Bible and taught for centuries throughout church history. We're seeing churches go apostate and uh, embrace false teachings like we've never seen before. The Church of England, perhaps the second largest church in the world, many have considered the battle already lost and the church has gone apostate. They are in the battle of their life right now. And you can see in the teachings of their leadership, false teaching abounds and has infiltrated the church. Hey, the false teachers aren't just outside there. They are within the church. Okay, Second Peter, Jude warned, okay, they, false teachers will come from within the people of God. One of the key leaders, major, most popular leaders of the Church of England or the Episcopal Church was Bishop John Shelby Spong. He's uh, recently retired. He was the Anglican Bishop of New Jersey. And if you go to his website in one of his articles called A Call for Reformation, okay, on his website, he gives 12 points requesting a new kind of Christianity. And if you look at his beliefs, he has denied major tenets, the essential tenets of the Christian faith. When it comes to the Bible, he clearly denies the inspiration, authority, and inerrancy of God's word. He says, I'm amazed that given the knowledge revolution of the last 600 years, Anyone could still regard the Bible as the dictated word of God, inerrant and eternal. When it comes to the nature of God, he says, theism as a way of defining God is dead. So most theological God talk today is meaningless. A new way to speak of God must be found. And Spong's idea of God, if you read it, is a paganistic kind of pantheism. When it comes to Jesus... He writes, since God can no longer be conceived in the theistic terms, it becomes nonsensical to seek to understand Jesus as the incarnation of a theistic deity. So the Christology of the ages is bankrupt. So this Anglican bishop rejects the biblical teaching that Jesus was conceived of the virgin. Does He rejects the virgin birth, rejects the idea of Jesus performing miracles, 
or that he put Jesus was the divine son of God. He rejects the resurrection, and he claims there are passages in the Gospels that portray Jesus as a narrow-minded, vindictive, and even hypocritical teacher. When it comes to salvation, he rejects the notion of sin, and therefore there's no need for an atonement. Therefore, all religions essentially are pathways to God. When it comes to the story of creation, he says the biblical story of the perfect and finished creation from which human beings fell into sin is pre-Darwinian mythology and post-Darwinian nonsense. Now, it's not just an intellectual battle over theology and doctrine, because where there is false teaching, immoral and dangerous lifestyles that will destroy an individual, a family, and a civilization come right behind it. They go hand in hand. And when it comes to ethics, what does he say? There is no eternal objective revealed standard written in scripture or on tablets of stone that will govern our ethical behavior for all time. Bible's old. It's outdated. We don't have to follow the teachings of the Old or New Testament. Spong writes, he finds that the Bible's attitude on sex and gender is embarrassingly out of step with the times. What it says about everything from premarital living arrangements to homosexuality is narrow-minded, misogynistic, homophobic, and worst of all, pre-scientific. He argues that God wants us to experience love, life, and all that we can be to really be ourselves. And so since he denies any notion of original sin, Whatever we desire becomes a good thing as long as it allows everybody to do their thing. And he says, although he admits the Bible is full of statements of sexual virtue, including prohibitions against premarital sex, adultery, and homosexuality, the authors of the Bible were hopelessly uninformed, lacking the benefits of modern research. One particular author, the Apostle Paul, may have been driven by an inner struggle with his own sexual identity. So he's a strong advocate for homosexuality and uh, sexual freedom in the transgender agenda. He promotes the ordaining of gay and transgender clergy. Just what Jude wrote about. They pervert the grace of God to a license for immorality. False teaching, false living, they go hand in hand. And although he clearly denies the essential of the biblical, historical Christian faith, the Episcopal Church allowed this man and others like him to remain a bishop. And these false teachers sowed their seeds of false teaching that has spread throughout that denomination. And today, the Episcopal Church finds itself divided and many, even within the church, believe perhaps it's now beyond repair and in a state of apostasy. Well, just recently, one of the big Christian colleges in the United States, uh, over 100 years old, Christianity Today, wrote this article and said recently in 2019, amidst the pressure from the culture, their LGBT students and faculty now coming out Azusa Pacific University has lifted the ban on same-sex dating. Azusa Pacific University has also dropped 
long-standing language from an eight-point statement on human sexuality which declared homosexual acts are expressly forbidden by scripture heterosexuality is God's design for sexually intimate relationships and humans were created as gendered beings to be fruitful and multiply these words were taken out and these revisions have remained on their website how did it get to this point where an evangelical Christian university came to compromise and surrender to the culture well it happened first doctrinally as they gave up the biblical and orthodox view of the inspiration authority and inerrancy of the Bible then they allowed false teachers into the camp teachers with that graduated from prestigious but very liberal universities and seminaries over half their professors received degrees from liberal universities and seminaries and you see as they surrendered their biblical teachings and convictions their morality has also begun to crumble isn't that what Satan wants to destroy the authority of God's Word to dismantle God's institution the family and to deface the image of God liberalism is an attack on God's revelation gay marriage is an attack on God's institution transgenderism is attack on the very image of God itself you know when I was speaking just a few years ago we in the West have lost the battle to gay marriage and we're in a fight now to redefine marriage right now I was going around the country saying man when we cannot define marriage anymore this is the worst it gets okay we've hit rock bottom and study the annals of world history no civilization has ever survived that has redefined marriage okay there's economic sociological and also spiritual reasons for that but no nation or civilization has survived in America we're redefining what is marriage and I said man, this is the oldest institution created not by man but by God himself it's the foundation of every civilization you dismantle that the house falls apart and I said when we cannot define what a marriage is okay we've hit rock bottom I was wrong I was wrong now we have the whole transgender issue and we cannot even define what is a man and what is a woman that's an attack on the very image of God so liberalism attacks God's revelation gay marriage attacks God's institution transgenderism attacks God's image isn't that what the devil would want we see it happening in our very midst and the church is to be the guardian and defender of God's truth and the believers in Christ are called then in the midst of all of this to contend for the faith and so the life lesson we learn is this the battle is more than just an intellectual battle of theology and doctrine false teaching and false living go hand in hand where false teaching enters in there will be immorality a dangerous lifestyle that will destroy an individual a family and eventually a civilization battle you're facing that we faced in the West over the redefining of marriage is 
not only just the battle between a church and their beliefs, but really for the future of the nation of the Philippines. Will the church take her stand? Or will she compromise and go along with the culture? It's the duty of every believer to know the truth so well that they can identify false teachings. And we need to hold leaders and teachers accountable, not only for their doctrine, but also their lifestyle. Jude tells us then how to contend for the faith, how to be contenders for the faith. Believers who can courageously stand against the tide and be salt and light in the midst of a dark world going astray. And he gives us five imperatives here. He says, number one, remember the warnings of the apostles, right? He says, go back to the word of God, the teaching of Christ and the apostles and the prophets. Don't be looking for new revelation coming from new apostles or new prophets. He says, go backwards. Look and remember the teachings of Christ and the apostles. Deviating, forgetting their teachings is the major cause for spiritual deterioration. Then he says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. To build means to erect a superstructure, a strong, powerful building. And he says, build yourselves up. It's in the plural, meaning together as a body of believers in Christ. Edify, encourage, and build one another up. In contrast to the false teachers that bring disunity and tear the body of Christ apart, true teachers, true disciples of Christ build up the body and edify, and as Ephesians says, till we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all called to study the scriptures and to grow in our faith in Christ. Then he says that we are to pray in the spirit, be filled empowered by the Holy Spirit as we pray daily and regularly, develop a strong prayer life. Then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. As you must cultivate your love relationship with your wife, so cultivate your love relationship with God. One way to do that, Jesus says in John 15, 9, abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love to consistently obey the teachings of Christ. It's continual sin and a lifestyle of sin that led false teachers to fall out of love and away from God. A consistent, obedient life to Christ is what the disciple is called to, and that will build your love for God in Jesus Christ. And he says, waiting for the Lord's return. The Greek word there, waiting, means to look expectantly for. For what? The blessed hope, the return of Christ, for his church. This is not a passive, let's just wait and see mentality, but it's an expecting kind of hope. Now, when engaging false teaching, there'll be three types of people that we encounter, and each one you need to approach a little differently. We are not called to go into retreat or surrender. We're called to go out into the world and engage our culture and world for Christ. And as you do, you're going to run to three kinds of people, right? And there's different approaches for different kinds of people. Jude says here, for the first, have mercy on the doubting. So those exposed to false teaching, they're in a state of confusion and they're doubting, right? And they need to be dealt with gently. 
with patience, with love, and with mercy. Okay? They need a loving, gentle approach. Others who are involved in apostate teaching need a stronger response. And he says, snatch others from the fire. And those steeped in false teaching or an apostate teaching. He says, literally, you got to have a stronger response. And when you turn someone who's steeped in false teaching away from error to truth, you've literally snatched them out of the fire from the judgment of God that would have come upon them if they stayed on that same course. And third, he says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. For others show mercy, but also Hating even the garments stained by flesh, meaning show mercy on those involved in false and apostate teaching. But be careful that you yourself do not get enticed and ensnared in the false teaching. Hey, those are three kinds of people you're going to approach and three different kinds of approaches. I remember several years ago, there was a man who came to our Bible study, Steve, and he came in, he was looking, you know, quite distraught. And he sat through a Bible study, and at the end of the Bible study, he said, Pat, can you do me a favor? I said, sure. He said, will you meet with my oldest daughter, Stephanie? I said, oh, okay. He said, she's studying with the Jehovah Witnesses. And in fact, my whole family is Jehovah Witnesses. My two daughters, my wife, my brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, you know, everyone I live with here in Hawaii, they're all Jehovah Witnesses. Would you meet with her? And at first I want to say, no, I'm really busy. You know, when I thought, you know, this is what God has called us to do. And so I said, all right, I'll meet with her. And so we met and we were talking for about half an hour. She was asking questions, bringing up verses, and I was showing her how these were misinterpreted, misapplied. Look at the context, patiently walking through it with her. And after about half an hour, she said, oh, by the way, I invited my two Jehovah Witness teachers to come and join us. And I said, oh, great. Thanks for telling me. Then I saw them coming out of McDonald's. You know, we were on the outside. They came out holding their cups of coffee, and the two women stared at me, and our eyes met because we had had long dialogues before. They knew exactly who I was. And you could see in their face, they're going, oh, it's him. And they slowly came over to the round table and sat down staring at me. And I said, oh, how are you doing? Stephanie and I are discussing here about who is Jesus Christ. And the older lady looked and said, you have committed spiritual fornication. Stephanie, this is a fornicator here. Don't listen to this man. He's a false teacher. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Let's look at what the Word of God has to say and make our decision from there. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says about who is Jesus. And I said, one of the verses we're discussing is John 20, 28. Thomas looked at the resurrected Christ, and Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas calls Jesus Christ his Lord and God. And she wouldn't even open her Bible. She said, you are a spiritual fornicator. Do you understand that? You are committing fornication with the devil. And I said, but I'm, I'm, we're looking at God's word here. All right? That's fornicating with the devil. I said, I think you need to relook at your theology. And I said, well, let's take a look at another verse. Matthew one twenty three. They shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. I said, read the same in your Bible. And she wouldn't look at her Bible, and she says, you are a false teacher, a fornicator. Stephanie, this man has committed spiritual fornication. 
don't listen to this man. You know, and the other partners started jumping in and they started really just railing on me. And I was sitting there going, oh gosh, is this what I came here for? And I said, all right, if, if you don't want to listen to the word of God, let's, let's read a Jehovah Witness article. You know, this one predicts the return of Christ in 1914. This one, 1920, they put that away. Uh, you're the, you know, and I, I, I smiled at her and I said, you don't even want to read your own literature? And she said, we don't want to read anything from the devil. I said, okay. Well, after about 20 minutes of just getting lambasted by them, they stood up and they said, Stephanie, this man is a spiritual fornicator. Let's go. And Stephanie kind of looked at me and hesitated. And the lady said, Stephanie, let's go. So she got up and they went off. And I thought, well, what a waste of time. What a complete waste of time, you know? Well, I went back to Dallas, uh, came back a year later on Christmas break, and Steve gave me a call and he said, hey, can I meet you for dinner? I said, sure. So we met for dinner, and with him was his oldest daughter, Stephanie. I said, hi, Stephanie. And she said, you know, we talked a little, and she said, I have come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I said, wow, what happened? And she said, well, you know, I noticed. You were sitting there patiently answering all my questions, and then when they came... You wanted to discuss the Bible, and they wouldn't even open their Bibles with you. You know, and I said, it really got me thinking. Why don't they want to open their Bibles with you? And the things that you shared, I went back and studied, and I asked, and I realized, indeed, the Jesus of the Bible is different from the Jesus of the Watchtower. So I gave my life to Christ. Well, went back to Dallas, came back a year later. Steve and Stephanie called and said, can we meet you for dinner? I said, sure. We met for dinner, and they had brought their younger daughter, Serena, from what her older sister shared, she had come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we had a great dinner, and I went back to Dallas, came back a year later. They called me, can we meet for dinner? I said, sure. Three of them were there with their uncle, George. George had come to faith in Christ as a result of those two girls. So we shared a great dinner. I went back, returned a year later, they called me for dinner. Four of them showed up with Steve's wife. She had become a believer in Christ as the result of what the family was sharing with her. Hey, and this, over a series of, of several years, their entire family has come to faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. There was an example of having mercy with those who doubt, being patient, being gentle, have mercy on those who are doubting. There's other times you need another approach. I remember just a few months ago, I was getting ready to go on radio and I was studying diligently and the secretary from the church where I office comes in to my room and says, Pat, can you uh, come into the office? I said, yeah, what's up? She goes, I got two Mormon missionaries in there. I invited them to come meet with me. I didn't know when they were coming, but they're here. Can you meet with them? And I want to say, no, I'm getting ready for radio. But I thought, all right, okay. So I went out there and, you know, met the two young men, and we began talking. And, of course, as Mormons do, they began sharing how they're Christians too. You know, they're Christians just like us, so come on, and, and let's work together and join the Mormon church. And I looked at him and I said, you know that Mormonism and biblical Christianity are very, very different. They're almost two different religions. And they said, oh, no, it's not. They said, uh, Mormonism is Christianity. We're one and the same. We just have extra revelation from our prophets. That's all. And I said, no. I said, they are as different as night and day. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, 
let's just take a look at the concept of God. Mormonism teaches, and they looked at me and said, we believe in one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And I said, no, you don't. I said, Mormonism teaches that God was once a man, like you or I, who through his good life attained exaltation to Godhood, like hundreds of other gods before him were once men on other planets who through their good life attained exaltation of God and ruled their planets with their many wives, procreating spirit children for the new world. And the two just laughed and shook their heads. We've never heard anything like that. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time, won't you? On the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Sucrat.